Hey, everybody, welcome to The Afterword, and let me be the first to say to you, Happy New Year. There's no way I'm the first person to say Happy New Year to you. It's like the 7th of January. So um, this is officially the first weekend of the new year that we've had services together. The last one was the 31st, which is New Year's Eve. But uh, So I, I guess New Year's are in order. I hope you had a great New Year. Um, hope you had fun. I hope you had some super unhealthy food and uh, that you regret it. And uh, that now you're paying for it in the new year, trying to eat healthy. You know, the new year affords us a chance to look back on the previous year and look ahead to the current year to see what kinds of things worked, what kinds of things we want to keep in our lives. How did we grow? And especially spiritually to uh, evaluate the work that our, our, our previous year's habits and disciplines had in us, what it formed in us, and to make some changes or not changes, in the words of uh, video game aficionados, to level up, as it were. We want to just keep going. We want to keep going to the next level. We want to eat that mushroom, as it were. That was a reference to Super Mario Brothers, not drug use, just in case you were unclear. Anyway, we want to keep leveling up, and uh, of course, one of the clearest and easiest ways, easiest is not the right word, and of course, one of the most tried and true ways for a Christian to grow is to uh, ingest the Bible. Uh, as we said this week, Eat This Book, um, which is the title of a Eugene Peterson book about the uh, importance of Scripture in the life of believers. The Bible is a central tool that God uses to shape and hone and uh, change us. And so if we want to be shaped and honed and changed by God, um, then we should ingest the Bible and get it in us, whatever that means, however that looks. So we're going to talk about that. Jay Kim is here uh, to talk about some qu common questions about the Bible and also we'll share some best practices. So with that, we're going to dive right in as we talk about scripture and its role in our lives. And then you just you just got back, right? Yeah. How was uh? You got back yesterday. From from Taiwan, so you landed literally yesterday from an international trip, and yes. you're here. How are you not jet lagged and dead? I don't know. I like travel. I, I know when you it's do. With my family, I don't like it when it's alone. But oh, sure, sure, sure. But yeah. So, uh, but how are your kids doing? Are they dead or are they okay? No, I, my kids are good travelers. It's well, kind of kids kind of are tra uh, pliable travelers. In I some think ways. they're like uniquely good at it, though. Oh, you I, think your kids are actually skilled at it? They're I like in the top one percent of all kids. Yeah, I mean, I don't usually talk about my kids too much. <laughs> I usually, you know, I love it. Make fun of them a bit, but they're good travelers. Man. That's great. Great on planes. Great on long flights. Um, what? What good about what brought you to want to travel to? Taiwan. Taiwan is is there family tie? Because some yeah, uh, Jenny's mom grew up there. Really? So this was kind of like Jenny's the oldest of four, and so every three siblings are married. One is engaged. There are six grandbabies. My two being the oldest, and then the there. So you all went over as a family. We were all there. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it was so we, all. We were joking. all of her brothers and sisters. Yeah, we were joking multiple times, like. It was like Home Alone. Because <laughs> there were a couple times we almost lost a kid, which is inevitable. You got it's six, such a big city. Six kids under 
eight. Oh, wow. I mean, my daughter's the oldest. She's oh, wow. eight. But right. after that, the other five kids are all under five that. and under. Yeah, that's rough. So my daughter was like, yeah. Did you have strollers like everywhere? So my kids don't Not you. Not your strollers. Your kids are out. But two double strollers for the other oh, wow. four. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That's great. Yeah, it was good times. What? Lots I, of good food. I was going to say, what's the best thing you ate? Uh, so I ate a beef noodle soup, which is a very traditional uh, Taiwanese. Uh, we got a lot of people here at Westgate from Taiwan, so I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. They're all going to make fun of me. That's okay. But, uh, Noromian, which is a very f- famous, um, it's like a staple. And I've had it a million times here, and I like it, but uh, we had it several times there. And dude, it was just better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, you know, you, if you go to the country of origin of a food, sure. You know how it kind of ruins that food when you come home. Yeah. Like you go to Italy, it's hard. Jenny and I went to Rome for our honeymoon 15 years ago or whatever. And we had, you know, pizza margarita and I came home and I was like, I can't ever eat that again here. You know, it's kind of a bummer. You just you realize just you've been the difference. Yeah, man, you yeah. realize you've it's been like eating fake. the fake stuff. Yeah, so no or, sh- no shade at all the Chinese restaurants here in town. No, but, no, <laughs> I know. You. But there's also a sense of which uh, don't they say that there's kind of an Americanization of the palate, even with the spices yeah, here in the way that it, it's so, created here. Yeah. So here's the thing. So Nuremian here, what I realized is um, there's a tinge of sweetness in the broth when they make it here in the States and a similar thing is in the traditional sort of Taiwanese dish, but it's not sweet in that same sort of Western way. It's just truly unapologetically just savory. And I really like that a lot better. It's like better. And dude, like the handmade noodles. Sure. And just, yeah, it was, now, was this a restaurant or was this like a, because sometimes you see like there's like street uh, vendors that are actually Michelin star rated. No, it's man. insane. Yeah. So this is an audio podcast. So no one can really see this <laughs> other than Dave, but I'm going to show Dave. I right will do now. my best to describe to the listeners. And this will also highlight what I said a moment ago about my kids being good travelers. Let me just find this photograph because you'll see Dave kind of how I spent my time there. It basically until I find the photograph. Um, no, it was decidedly not a restaurant. It was the sketchiest back alley <laughs> you could possibly imagine. Okay, here it is. Here's the photo. You can see. Oh my. Jenny and my, the backs of my, okay. So here's what it is, photo. folks. It's, it's a, okay, first of all, it's a, it's a crowded street, but very it's crowded. old, old, very and old. you see wires running into this building. <laughs> it's an awning that looks like it was made in the sixties. Yes. With and a, hasn't been cleaned with since. a tarp over it. That looks like it's from the sixties <laughs> with just looks like plastic chairs yes. and, and metal stools the best. just sitting outside. What looks to be an outdoor market that yes. goes on for it looks like miles. Yes. <laughs> so it was like miles and miles That's of this, awesome. like a uh, impromptu market. Awesome. Yeah. And there's a guy standing in in a in an apron with another guy behind him, and they're the just just yes. cooking this. And he looks like and he's you know, old. They've been, they've been making these noodles for generations. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
So we ate at a lot of spots like this. But and it's, this is but it's just like, it, well, it's the like best. the best taquerias are the exactly. hole in the walls, right? Exactly. So, that, so that's the same. Anyways, it was awesome. Yeah, it was it's so amazing. Fun and yeah, great times. Okay. Well, speaking of eating, <laughs> we're, nice. t- we're talking Solid about segue. eating the book, yes. uh, the, the, the title of the sermon. Yeah. It's a one-off that we do. Kind of once a year, yeah. yeah we've done it now yeah. twice, yeah. so it's a pattern. We like to do it every year, yeah. Uh, so now, we, well, we've done it twice, so now it's a pattern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called "Eat This Book," which is actually a title of a book by Eugene Peterson yeah. about the importance of scripture yeah. in one's life. Um, and so, talk about the why of that, and then and then I got some questions, and I got some stuff that I thought we could go through. So, talk about the why first. Well, high level, even if you are not a religious person. Um, The Bible, this library of books, is far and away the best-selling book of all time. You know, the New York Times bestseller list excludes religious texts. Well, not religious. I mean, like, religion books can be on the list, but it excludes the Bible in large part because if it included it, it would just destroy everybody else every year in terms of book sales like it just sells to this day you know in 2024 um second place in terms of total number of books sold in like human history in literary history harry is potter not even maybe i'm kidding but what it is it's not even close oh yeah it's sure. like not a competition right 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 so even if you're not religious and its influence on Western culture. Yeah. It, or I, world culture, but especially Western culture is right. Un, unparalleled. Right. There are drippings of the scriptures in everything. Yes. So in our hotel room, there was right. in Taiwan, there really? was a, yeah, a wow. Bible in the Bible. hotel room in, right. in Mandarin. So, um, even if you're not religious, I would say this book is worth your time. I mean, you know, it's the best-selling book of all time by far. So maybe pay attention to it just as a curiosity as a human. Right. Even if you don't believe it, it's it's no matter who you are, it's worth reading, you know? And then once you read it, again, even if you don't buy it, even if you don't believe it, we talked about this a little bit in the teaching, the the literary design of this, it's it's a library of books. It's not one book. The literary design of it, you know, these 66 books written across over a thousand years. I mean like 12, 1300 years, the first one written all the way to the last one written uh, in two ancient languages with the sprinkling of a third ancient language, dead language really sprinkled in. And yet all of these 66 books within this one single book, they all talk to each other. You know, you, you and I showed that graphic yeah. that image, you know, which you have a poster of it. Yeah. My, uh, last Christmas, my, my wife got it for me. It's a, it's a, it's a visualization of all the hyperlinks that we, we call them hyperlinks, yeah. the links in between the books to the other books. Yeah. And the more you study it, the more you see the links are, I'm not saying they're endless, but it's, it, it, it it's almost, it's almost bottomless. I mean, Scholars are finding new links today. Yeah. And these books were written over a thousand years ago, the yeah. oldest ones, you know, or I'm sorry, thousands of years ago, 3000 years ago, you know? So, um, it's, it's exquisite. It's an exquisite piece of literature. So even if you don't believe it, it is worth reading. And that's just the starting point. Now for most of us listening, we believe it. 
Right. So if that's true, holy smokes, you know, <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. If, if, if what these stories tell us is true, then not only is it worth reading, it's worth living, you know, like it's worth breathing this stuff, having it deeply sort of embedded in, in who we are. Right. Um, so yeah, it's not that we worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible, but the Bible is, uh, the most accessible entry point to the story of God, not just what he did all those years ago, but it tells us the, sto the story of what he's doing now. And, and it tells us who he is and, and right. what he's like, you know? Well, there's the two words that Christians use often is the word revelation. It's a revelation of who God is and what he's yeah. ab about. Yeah. So it's information about God, which is authoritative from God. Yeah. That's what Christians believe, but also the word of God, yeah. which means that it's, he speaks yes. through it. Is still speaking. Is still yeah, did and is alive, yeah. the past, present, and, and, yeah. And, and currently, so those two things are really, that's really deep. Yeah. Those are, that's a really pro and actually that's a pretty, um, uh, that's as a modern claim, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty fascinating to yeah. say that it's, it's a, it's a book that's in many ways transcendent or supernatural. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's alive. It's a oh, living right. text, which you cannot say about any other. Text. So I had two questions. One, if you. Like, what misconception do you see in our current culture about the Bible, the secular culture, mm. that you would, if, if you had, like, a platform, if you were able to get on Larry King, is he yeah. dead? I'm pretty sure he's okay, dead. Okay, if you were able dead? to... Wait, now I'm not now sure. Now I'm not sure. If dead? you were able to get on a, like, a, a, a talk, a Good Morning America, and <laughs> yeah. they were to say, hey, well, hey, Jay, you're a Bible a Bible person, you're a pastor, what, what common misconception in the culture about yeah. the Bible would you like to correct? What would you say? Yeah, that it's uh, barbaric and outdated and archaic. Yeah, I would I would try to address that claim that it's not worth our time because it was written by these sort of pre pre enlightenment Neanderthals that didn't know what they were talking about. Right. You there know? were. Yeah. That's what I would. And I understand why people think it's barbaric. Surface level reading of some of the texts are really hard. They're really challenging, especially the the ancient Old Testament texts, you know. But as you and I know, and many people know, I mean, you teach our Bible labs here, and it's one of the it's one of the best things about those labs when you teach is uh, you spend you know a couple of hours not ignoring, but actually not only addressing, but really deep diving into some of the really challenging texts, you know, in February, you're going to teach a, a lab on the book of revelation, which again, surface level reading. It's just like, either it's like, this is like violent and gross and destructive, or it's some like, some guy drops some shrooms. Yeah, exactly. It's insane. This yeah. is just someone lost their mind. They went to the desert and just did a lot of total nonsense, yeah. you know, yeah. but, and I understand why it feels that way when you mm -hmm. read it at a surface level, but when you really dig into it and begin to see the, the genius of it and see it within the context in which it's written and um, the literary style or genre in which some of these books are written, then everything starts to come to life, you know? Yeah. And then you realize, oh, this is not barbaric and archaic and ancient and outdated. This is a word for us, for our time. Um, 
in some really fascinating ways, yeah. you know, like when you get into revelation, people are going to see like, Oh, this actually is talking about politics and yeah. geopolitics yeah. and economies and just and like read kingdoms, the, read and, the news yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. The book of revelation has a lot to say about what you're reading on your news app. You yeah. know, it's really interesting. Um, so yeah. And I think that's true even for the person who is not a, again, not religious. It's like, you don't have to believe it, but just if you study it and read it, realize what the what the author is trying to say. Mm -hmm. You realize they're making commentary on things that are not that the writer knew this, but it is commentary on stuff that's happening in our world today. Yeah, I guess in some ways I was an English teacher and yeah. I would have a hard time getting my kids into Shakespeare sometimes yeah. because they'd be like, oh, this is antiquated. Yeah, it's super old. But then they'd see really quickly as we delved in. Oh, yeah. This dude's talking about human nature right. and he's saying something profound right. about what it means to be a person. Yes. And all of a sudden they could access it. Yeah. I, that's a, maybe a poor, I'm trying to make an analogy. But no, here. it's totally yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, it's totally true. It's, um, and that's, you know, people. And he's who, a genius. Yeah. But you don't see that initially. Like, so for me, I've not read much Shakespeare. I'm not into it or whatever. But what I also know is. Shakespeare would not have stood the test of time the way that he has were it not for the fact that if I did spend the time to study it and took a class on Shakespeare and um, what I know for a fact is I would begin to see slowly over time the, br the brilliance of it, that he's uh, addressing and commenting on human nature, right. not on a boy named Romeo and a girl named Juliet who happen to love each other. And, you know, is played by Leonardo DiCaprio or whatever, you know, like it would be like, oh, this is these are characters that are intended to unveil a much deeper, more significant truth about yeah. what it means to be human and human struggle. And even more so than Shakespeare, that is the, the Bible. Right. You know, so. OK, so that's the, the culture. I, and I wondered, like, imagine that you've got some sort of platform to address Christians yeah. in the United States of America. I would say maybe the world, but it's probably different. I don't know what would be going on. Sure. What cultural misconception would you like to correct in Christians about the Bible? Yeah. Which I think is different than the secular culture. Yeah. So, I, yeah. That's a great question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is I would say to Christians, you know, that tension you feel about not being able to hear God, like why doesn't God speak to me directly? I would say he does. He has and he does. And he has and he does certainly through your prayer life. And, um, you know, that's why we're doing the daily examine as a church for the whole year. But I would also say, and this is borrowing from our friend Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, when you begin to read scripture as meditation literature, when you really meditate on the stories and the texts, um, you will discover that God is speaking to you through it. God, you know, God meant it when um, he says in Isaiah 55 that his word would go out and it would not be void. It would, it would not return void. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's speaking. He's speaking and uh, that's a beautiful metaphor because it says just like the rains on the mountain produce blooms. It's yeah. like inevitable. Yeah. And we see it now. For We're all about of to us see Californians. It. Yeah. We rain, know that rain is when water falls from the sky. <laughs> I know you think it's a myth, but it is a thing. <laughs> well, we see those brown hills of death turn into green, <laughs> right? We do over there. We, we see the it. brown hills of death. That's what we call them in my family. 
That's awesome. Because they are. I feel like that should be a song in like The Sound of Music Part Two or something. The Brown Hills Hills of of Death. death. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's so that's that's really cool. So just the idea that um, God God does and can speak through it. Yeah, he is speaking. Yeah, Yeah, he is speaking. Yeah. One of the things that I, one of the misconceptions I had for a long time was that it was like just, uh, the human side of this book, that God used human literary authors yeah, anchored in culture and time to a real, because all this is written by a bunch of Hebrews who yeah. were super duper Jewish. Yes. <laughs> and they're super serious about their history and what God's already said and what God's worked and what God's done through them. And so I think that I kind of thought of the Bible as like supernatural, like magic, like dropped mm-hmm. from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but then the more that you see it, there's a real human side to it with like yeah. real things that are going on and yeah. real people. Yeah. Um, and I think I had a hard time with the humanness of the yeah. Bible. Like, for example, um, there's some, there's obviously some stories that um, um, are in ancient Mesopotamian literature or ancient cultures around yep. that the Bible kind of speaks to. Yeah, um, or confronts. Or confronts. Yeah. Um, and so that was confusing for me. Like, well, wait a second. Was that story made up? Yeah. Or is that story, that, that's a myth that was from this culture over there, and it looks like Christianity or the the, the Hebrew writers are, are borrowing or changing right. or shifting, or yeah. you see it's, or so that was confusing, but they're mm. like confronting these things. Yeah, totally. Um, or even some of the, the teachings of Jesus um, some of the stories that he uses, there's, you know, Jewish teachings from before that. And he takes that story and he'll like twist it or yeah. add a new, new, new meaning to it. Right. Um, yeah. But the story, the st- it was like kind of like Aesop fables. These stories mm. existed in Jewish rabbinical stories, yeah. but Jesus would take them and then add a twist. Yeah. Um, but they're part of, and so th- there's a human, because Jesus would have grown up hearing those things. Yeah. But he's, he's using um, the spirit's imagination to, yeah. to do something. Um, okay. Um, let me ask you another question. Yeah. And then we'll get into the practical advice. Um, we're about to enter into um, 2024. Yes. Which is going to be, uh, I hope it's not contentious, but it looks like it probably will be pretty contentious. Mm. And so there is a sense in which um, sometimes people say, well, uh, the Bible is like a big Rorschach test. It can mean anything. It's a giant book. You can mean it to say anything. Even in our own nation's history, yeah. it's been used to both be the, the the primary source for the civil rights movement and the abolition movement and to justify slavery in the South. Yeah. The Bible was the text that was used for both, which is confusing for some people because they say, well, is that just mean the Bible can mean anything or, or, or just is, it's just, it's, we're lucky there's, it's such a big book mm. that we can just pick and choose and right. that kind of stuff. Um, you probably heard that. Is, is that, how, how would you address that tension for people, because we're we're about to enter into a sea. Like, uh, not to be weird about this, but the January sixth insurrection had Bible verses on yeah. signs painted. Yeah. So that and so, how do you address the that that content, or how how do you how do you think about that tension? Because you've probably heard it. Right? Yeah. Seen that. Yeah. I mean, we talked in the teaching a little bit about the Bible as a scalpel. Yeah. You know, there's that Hebrews passage, Hebrews four. The word of God is alive and active, as we've already said. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. 
um, the word for sword there, there's multiple words for sword. This is like a smaller precision sword, like almost a knife, you know, not, not like a big giant broad sword head off kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've said this before. I said it this past Sunday. Um, it, it's it's really sad to me and tragic and utterly dangerous and destructive when we weaponize the Bible against other humans. Um, the Bible is a singular story that tells us about Jesus, the Messiah, and he's on every page. He's, he's in the opening lines and he's, his name may be not on every page, but his shadow looms large over the entire story. So, um, the Bible is not meant to be, uh, a sort of like pick and choose Chipotle style, buffet where you can go to it when you need something and pull a little bit of this and a little bit of that and then use that to, to be co-opted for your agenda. Yeah, yeah. The Bible is a, it's many things, but one of the things it is, is a, is a scalpel, you know, where Jesus by the spirit does heart surgery on us. So that's the first and foremost thing I would say. We have to read it for ourselves for ourselves so read it for ourselves meaning not just sort of eat the regurgitated food that somebody else chewed and spits in your mouth like a like a mother bird to its you know newborn baby birds but like go to it yourself yeah um it within community it's a communal text uh which that's something we've lost since the gutenberg press when Bibles were put in the hands of the masses, which was an absolute gift, by the way. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying when that happened, reading scripture became a primarily individual endeavor. Um, but individual reading of scripture is meant to be supplemental to the communal engagement with scripture. It's like the texts are written. Every word of the Bible was written in a preliterate context. So None of the writers wrote this thinking this is going to go in a book that's going to get mass produced and mass printed. And all of my audience is going to take one of these letters home and read it every day. I mean, think about the letters of Paul. They were literally letters to be read in front of congregations. Yeah. So it's like that's communal, exactly. you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so that's what I would say. It's, it's not a word for you to weaponize and use against them. It is a word for all of us to shape us, to invite God to do heart surgery on yeah. us. You know, it's a mirror. It's not a gun, you know, um, or whatever. Uh, you know, right. So. Well, it also, it also speaks to one of the most countercultural aspects of this book, which is that it is over us. Yeah. It is, it is authoritative, mm -hmm. which uh, means that it is, it's over us, which means it's binding on us. Yeah. Uh, which means we submit to it yep. as best as we can, which means that we come to it with that, that posture of humility yeah. to learn, seek, grow, be confronted, be comforted, yeah. be um, convicted, whatever yeah. it might be. But it's it's over us, yeah. which is, not, there's not very many things. In fact, Americans in general hate anything over them. 
Yeah, I, I mean, our nation was established on the the desire to not have a king right. over us, which was great. You know, I'm glad. I'm so grateful that we live in a democracy. Um, I really am. I, you know, when we were in Taiwan, actually, it's so interesting. You know, just getting into geopolitics, and I'm not very familiar. I have no expertise, but I know enough. I mean, what most people know, there is real tension between Taiwan and China. Yeah, and um, it was so fascinating. Uh, we were walking down one of these city streets, the whole family, and my daughter, who's eight, she saw a sign, and it was in Mandarin, but it had the English words "bomb shelter," and then it had a picture, like a silhouette picture of like like it what looked like a bomber plane and then it had some words in mandarin or chinese you know simplified chinese so we're like she pointed it out she's like what's that and then her grandmother my my oh i'm sorry her grandfather who was there my wife's dad he read it and he explained to us that if oh it's a sign that if you there was a doorway like look like a subway and that if you go down these steps there's like a mass bomb shelter that could house thousands of people at a time and the reason it's there is because taiwan is like preparing for like if china attacks us we've got all these bomb shelters people can go down and um you know for me it was like wow i I was just trying to go get some like that's crazy chinese buns or something you know and then all of a sudden i'm confronted with this moment of sobering reality we're living in this crazy wild geopolitical tension and and then i think about all of the it's so complex like i don't i don't i have nothing to say about it really because the complexity of it is so dense you know um but it did make me think about just the the power of ideologies and um that this tiny little island nation of taiwan stakes claim to its own sovereignty as a nation and then you have a giant super again i'm not making a political claim um and then you have this giant superpower china that stakes claim to taiwan as as its own and uh i could feel the tension i mean you know again we've got um it's a hard thing to talk about, but maybe it's a good thing to talk about because you mentioned January 6th and you mentioned the potential contentiousness of the year to come, which is an election year. We've got Chinese Americans in our church, many of them, and we've got Taiwanese Americans in our church, and we all sing to the same Jesus Sunday after Sunday, you know, and, uh, and we have learned to live in harmony and in love with one another. And Why? Because really in these two countries, like, you know, and and it's even offensive for me to say two countries or, and it's offensive for me to say not two countries, like depending on which. So however you think about it, the reality is like we stand shoulder to shoulder on Sundays here and we sing to the same Jesus and we love and support one another. I've Mm. seen it. I have literally, I have Taiwanese friends and Chinese friends here that I'm thinking about right now, you know, like we've seen it. My wife is both like her mother's family's from Taiwan, her father's family's from China, you know? So we're right. American, but like, so it exists just in, in my own family, but we're able to, to love and, and live harmoniously together. But why? It's because we have decided together that we live under the, pr- 
Our primary allegiance is to Jesus as our king. Now, if you remove Jesus as king, there's nothing left for us but tension and war. Because it's like, well, then, if I'm not a Christian first and foremost, then maybe I'm like Chinese first. Or, and I'm not saying like our ethnic stories and backgrounds don't matter. I'm very proud to be a Korean American and my heritage. Absolutely proud of all of that. But the, the one path to peace with one another and hope and love with one yeah. another is the fact that we live under the rule yeah. of a king. And this is a very anti-American idea. Yeah. You know, like we don't live under the rule of a king. I live under my own rule and I decide if it's Biden or Trump or whoever. And so even when we look forward to November of 24, that is one of the reasons why there may be con contention, why there may be, you know, anxiety and, and, and tension with one another is like we put in place these puppet kings but we also want to pull the strings. Yeah. And we get angry when yeah. the string I pull doesn't lead to the result I want. Yeah. If I pull the Biden string, but Trump is in the office, or if I pull the Trump's string and Biden is in office, then all who pulled the other string are my enemy. But the, the path to peace for us is, yeah, like be a good citizen and make the best decision you can based on um, your faith in Jesus. But ultimately who sits on the white house is that's not, that's not what really matters. What really matters is that Jesus is King and we ultimately live under his rule and his authority and the story of in Jesus his kingdom and his kingdom yeah. and the story of our King unfolds in this beautiful library of books, which is why it's so important. So, um, I don't even remember what question I was responding to. But <laughs> no, we're just talking of. about how this this is a book that we are under. Yeah. It, it, it It's binding for us. It's binding yeah. for me. It's binding for you. Yeah. And uh, that's a real gift, you know, uh, yeah. because it frees us from uh, the sort of, you know, knock each other out sort of yeah. thing that the news media wants us to get. And it really does want us. It's, it's the thing that keeps us scrolling and watching and there's a real good reason why whether it's Fox news or CNN or MSNBC or whatever else, there's a real good reason why there's that scrolling ticker on the bottom. It's because they're trying to keep you yeah. engaged, yeah. you know, and just like next time you watch the news, pay attention to the way they word things on that ticker. Yeah. Like it is intended to, you know, to get, pull and grab. Yeah. You know, to raise the, the alarm, you know, yeah, on like a little outrage, a yeah, little fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the practical, practical advice to getting the Bible in your life. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, yeah. but um, we also, <laughs> this is going to sound counterintuitive, but we also say this, not every part of the Bible is really good for devotional reading. No. Uh, in fact, some of it's really terrible. Yeah. <laughs> not that we, we, we don't think that people should read the whole Bible. Right. But there's a different way of studying. For example, Ezekiel is terrible for devotional reading. Right. <laughs> you don't want to read that for, but, um, so, but we do want you to read Ezekiel someday. Yeah. That'd be great. But it's a different, there's a devotional reading and then there's kind of reading the Bible for its narrative purpose. Yeah. Um, to get the whole story into you. So let's talk a little bit, because we do talk about devotional reading or private reading. Um, do you have any uh, general advice for folks? Well, yeah. I mean, we gave some practical advice um, during, during the teaching. 
Yeah, there's lots of places in the Bible that that are beautiful for devotional reading, for sure. Um, and we don't have time to unpack all of it. So if I could just give like an elevator pitch, it's what I said in the teaching. If you're new to the Bible, or if you if you if you haven't been in the regular habit of spending time in Scripture devotionally, meditatively every day my strong suggestion, this is what I do. I'm not saying everyone should always do what I do. Certainly don't do that. But at least for me, this has been really helpful in terms of my engagement with the scriptures. I read, um, I read, I spend time in the Psalms and in the gospels every day, every single day. So, uh, every morning I read a Psalm, but I read it slowly and deeply meditatively. I'm not trying to like get through you know, as many Psalms as possible. What I'm trying to do is like pray the Psalms. That's the, the, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. You know, it's what N.T. Wright calls it. Um, so I try to pray the Psalms every day, a Psalm, one Psalm every day. So I read it slowly multiple times as I'm making my morning coffee and drinking my morning coffee. And then I try to read through the gospels every day as well, you know, just slowly bit by bit, just get the Jesus story in me over and over and over again, you know, a, a reminder of who he yeah. is and what he's about. So devotional reading, I would at least begin there if yeah. you're new to it. And then of course there's lots of other places as well. Yeah. I think that the, the gospels is devotion reading help us encounter Jesus almost every day. Yeah. And there's, there's something that happens as you, as you do that. It's a really, yeah. really powerful thing. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, this year, uh, obviously we have a centerpiece of, of scripture. Uh, we've got, Matthew, we're going to yeah. be going through going back, but even but even stuff like uh, we're later on in the year we're having a, a fairly important sermon series on sexuality, yes, and gender. Where we're, but again, that's but that's Bible. That's about yeah. what does the Bible say about uh, us being embodied, sexed individuals? Yes. Um, what does that mean? What's that look yeah. like? Well, why is that important? Yeah. And what does that say that's different than our culture? What's it say that's the same? Right. Um, what do we, what do we, and what does that mean for how we live? Yeah. Um, so that's a biblical, that's the Bible's informing that. Yeah. So all these things are like, they're all Bible. They're just in different, different formats. Right. So that's right. Uh, all right. Well, well, thanks for that folks. Eat this book. Eat it. Eat it. It's delicious. It's delicious. It tastes like Taiwanese beef noodle soup, <laughs> you know, in a back alleyway. <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Join us next week when we start our brand new sermon series and a brand new campaign for the new year. It's called Here to Stay with God for the Good of All. And we're going to be looking at not just the past of our church, but our future, where we're going. It's going to be a very exciting time. So join us for that. And we'll dive into that next week. Talk to you soon.